Welcome to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. I'm Erin, pediatric sleep consultant and founder of The Happy Sleep Company. From catnaps to night wakes and regressions to teething, we cover all things baby sleep. With a passion for children's sleep, we're here to help tired families get healthy rest. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today is Q&A Tuesday on Sleep Cues, the Everything Baby Sleep podcast, and we are going to cover a number of questions that I got over the last week. Most of them were in my DM box on Instagram. A couple of them were actually from my own clients that came through in my inbox, but they're questions that I get not infrequently from parents, so I'm really confident that the answers to these questions are probably going to help you out with something that you are currently experiencing as well. So let's dive in. First question, is there such thing as too long of a sleep sack? That's a good question. We get questions about sleep sacks all the time because really it's such a great cue for your child. There are so many reasons to use a sleep sack. We always recommend sleep sacks to families. So we get questions about how should they fit? What are they for? What's the point? So a sleep sack is basically a wearable blanket. It is something that usually snaps on at the shoulders and zips up around your baby so that they stay warm and cozy, but it's safer than blankets because your baby can't slip down inside of it as long as it fits properly and it can't go up over their head and cause any kind of suffocation risk. So that's one of the biggest reasons that we love a sleep sack, a wearable blanket is because it's safer than actual blankets. I also love a sleep sack because it's a good cue for your baby that sleep time is coming up soon. If we put it on for every nap and every bedtime, baby understands when it goes on that that means sleep time is approaching pretty soon. It's also a pretty good containment device for older children. So if you have a toddler or a young preschooler who's still in a crib and they're sleeping soundly in there and they're nice and safe and cozy in there, a sleep sack can help them from starting to think about maybe trying to swing their leg up over the crib and climb out. Usually when a child is in a sleep sack, they don't even get any ideas about climbing out early because their legs are sort of contained in this sack and they don't get any they don't, they don't start investigating, let's say, the idea of climbing out so much as a child who's not wearing a sleep sack. So I like a sleep sack for that reason too. But this question was about the length. Is there such thing as too long of a sleep sack? I would say no. The length of the sleep sack is not what matters. What matters is that the neck hole and the arm holes fit properly. So that means the neck hole is not so tight that it's constricting your baby's neck. The neck hole shouldn't be, of course, rubbing up against your baby's neck or causing any kind of discomfort with your baby's neck. And it's not so loose that your baby's head can slip down inside. That is really the big part of it too, is that we don't want it to be loose enough that your baby's head could go down inside the sleep sack because now it's a safety issue if that happens. The armholes, same thing. They obviously shouldn't be so tight that they're rubbing up against your baby or causing any kind of discomfort, but they definitely shouldn't be so loose that your baby could slip down inside of the sleep sack. So make sure the neck hole and the armholes fit comfortably, not too tight that they would be uncomfortable, not so loose that your baby could slip down inside the sleep sack. Those are the parts that really matter when it comes to the fit. When it comes to the length, It is pretty normal that sleep sacks are quite a bit longer than your baby, and that's okay. When you think about it, 
As adults, most of us have some space beyond our feet where there is more sheet or comforter or duvet or blanket or whatever you're using. Our feet don't usually go right to the end of our bed and right to the end of our sheets or our blankets, unless you're my six foot six husband and then his feet hang off the end of the bed. But usually for most of us who are a pretty average height, that's not the case. And it's the same for your baby. It's normal that the sleep sack would go well beyond the ends of their feet, just so there's lots of room for them to move around comfortably and they don't feel too constrained in the sleep sack. The neck hole fits properly, the armholes fit properly, the width is fine, then the length shouldn't be an issue. They're not going to get twisted up in it because it's about the length, not about the width. They can still walk around their crib. My daughter, Myla, wore a sleep sack until she was three and a half and we put her in a big kid bed at that point. But until then, she was in a crib and she wore a sleep sack. You can actually get sleep sacks that go up to age four. There are even some companies that have a four to six year range. So if you have a particularly tall three to four year old who's still in a crib, you might want that four to six year range. So you're going to find that they seem quite long at that age, but it doesn't mean that your child can't still stand up in their crib, walk around their crib. They will be fine to do that with some extra length at the end of their sleep sack. I've worked with many, many, many children who are two to three to four years of age, even in a crib wearing a nice long sleep sack. It works great. So there really isn't such a thing as too long of a sleep sack. It's all about the fit in the neck and the arms. Next question, at what length should you cap naps at different ages? This is a big question because we work with children from the newborn stage until six years of age. So when do you cap naps? I will give you the quick and dirty on capping naps. We do have sleep guides on our website at thehappysleepcompany.com. There's a sleep guide for the four to 10 month range. There is a sleep guide for the 11 to 18 month range. And they really go through step-by-step in detail, capping naps, what time to wake your baby for the day, what an appropriate bedtime range is for different ages. So if you really want to get more into the weeds on this, you can absolutely check out those sleep guides. They go step-by-step into all of that for all of those various ages. We also have a newborn guide that touches on wake windows and scheduling as well and gets into a lot more information about putting your newborn down for naps and on-the-go naps and all of that kind of thing with newborns. But for this question, at what length should you cap naps at various ages? Newborn, you know, up to say four months, I would let a child sleep as much as two and a half to three hours. I would let a nap be two and a half to three hours. That is okay in those first few months for a nap to be that long. I would wake them up at three hours max to make sure that we are getting in all of the proper feeds that we need in the day. So we do want to wake up at that point. We also don't want a newborn starting to confuse their days and nights by napping for too, too long. So three hours would be my max. At around four and a half months, I would probably say two hours is the max you want a nap to be. Again, this is so we can maintain a proper feeding and sleeping schedule. Now, when you get to five, six, seven months, things get a little bit trickier. And I'm a little more specific about when we cap naps and how much daytime sleep we get at this age, because we do find that this is an age range where if your baby naps for too long, They might refuse their next nap, or you might run out of time in the day for a proper schedule. A great example would be a five or six month old. We would normally make sure that the first nap is capped around an hour and a half. 
the second nap is capped around an hour and a half, and the third nap is capped around 45 minutes. The reason for capping those first couple of naps in the day is that five and six month olds generally do best with a three nap schedule. And if you don't cap those first couple of naps of the day, you're going to end up with this really tricky timing at the end of the day where you haven't left yourself enough time for the third nap, but you have too much awake time before bed and your baby's overtired. So that's why I like to cap those first couple of naps a little bit shorter, that hour and a half mark at that age. So we keep enough time in the day for a proper third little cat nap to get baby to bedtime without being overtired. Then once your child's around seven or eight months, their naps can go back to being two hours each because you only have two of them. Once your child is especially close to eight plus months, you're going to find that they are ready for bigger wake windows. There isn't time in the day for a third nap, no matter what you do with these bigger wake windows at this point. So we're just on a two nap schedule at this point. So because of that, each nap could be up to two hours and you'll still have time in the day for a proper feeding and sleep schedule and enough sleep pressure on the night with two two hour naps for an eight, nine month old. As you get closer to 11 plus months, you might have to start capping naps a little shorter again for more sleep pressure. For example, at around 11 or 12 months, I normally find that if a child naps longer than around an hour in the morning, they will resist their afternoon nap. They still need an afternoon nap. They can't yet handle all the awake time that comes along with a one nap schedule. They need two naps, but if they nap too long in the morning, they will refuse their second nap and then be overtired by bedtime. This is why I recommend around this age, we cap the morning nap at an hour so that there is enough sleep pressure for the afternoon nap. And then once a child is around 16 to 18 months and gets on a one nap schedule, I would suggest that nap could be a up to three hours, really. Most babies that age will probably nap around two, maybe two and a half hours, but it could be up to three hours at that age, and then I would cap it. Usually children are going to do fine with that until they get around two and a half years of age. Normally at that point, they do still need a nap. They need that midday snooze, but if it goes on for two to three hours, they might not be tired enough for a proper bedtime at night. So at two and a half years old, I would still have a nap, but I would probably cap it at around an hour and a half to make sure that your child is still tired enough for a proper bedtime, which at that age is going to be around 7.30. And then when your child is somewhere between three and four years of age, they will probably stop napping. They will not be tired enough to nap. They won't fall asleep for their nap. Or if they have even an hour long nap, they won't fall asleep at night until 9 or 10 p.m. And those are good signs that now your three to four-year-old is ready to drop their nap altogether. So that's what I'll call the quick and dirty on how to cap naps and when to cap naps at various ages. But like I said, go to the website and check out the sleep guides if you want some more specifics and details in depth on all of those ages. Next question, do you have advice for what to do when baby falls asleep in the car on the way home from an appointment, but they were due to nap at home? I definitely have advice on that. And it might not be the advice you thought you were going to get from a sleep consultant because it's skip the nap at home, just keep driving, just keep strolling. Because if you are already a parent, you have probably already experienced this and you already know that if a baby falls asleep in a car for even five or 10 minutes, they will resist their their nap at home. They won't go down for their nap at home once you get there. 
even a little five to 10 minute snooze for an infant or a young toddler usually means that they will then really protest going down in their crib once you arrive at home. So what's the point of that? Now all we've gotten is a five minute car nap. Your baby's at home protesting their nap in the crib and not falling asleep. Now we've lost the nap altogether. So I would rather see a parent who looks in the rearview mirror on the way home from the grocery store and sees that their six-month-old has fallen asleep in their car seat, keep driving around. Go through a drive through get yourself a coffee, drive around and enjoy the sights and some quiet time. And just give yourself that time. Let that be a car nap. Hopefully your baby can get a decent 45-minute snooze or so in the car. Then they wake up and you call that their nap. You do a full wake window to the next nap, and then you do that next nap at home after that full wake window. If it's really not possible to just keep strolling or just keep driving if your baby falls asleep in the car or the stroller and you just have to get home and your baby only got a 10-minute car nap and then woke up when you pulled in the driveway, then you'll probably have to do at least half of a normal wake window before your baby will be tired enough to go down in the crib. And you might even need to do a whole wake window before your baby will be willing to go down in their crib at home after that happens. Okay, next question is about dropping naps altogether. When do children normally drop naps? My 26-month-old has been taking forever to fall asleep for his midday nap lately, and a couple of times he has skipped it altogether. I am really confident in saying that your 26-month-old still needs to nap. This is probably a nap strike, which is part and parcel with the toddler sleep regression. When your child is 26 months of age, they are going through a ton of cognitive development. It's harder to fall asleep. They are learning to sing and chat to themselves. They are forming lots and lots of thoughts and sentences. They might be singing the alphabet that they're learning at daycare, they're going through a lot. And it's normal that they might babble in their crib, sing to themselves in their crib, and just be really distracted from going to sleep at this age for a period of time when they're going through particular spurts of cognitive development. It's also not uncommon that they might be protesting in their crib because depending on how you're responding to their protest, they might be learning, if I protest, you come get me and I don't actually have to nap. And because playing with mom or dad is always more fun than napping, if your child learns that protesting is going to get them out of the crib and go back to playtime, then they're going to learn to protest in their crib. So we really have to be careful about how we handle this because we can be really confident that a child who just turned two years old still needs to nap. But we need to handle it in a way that we get through to the other side of this nap strike and back to good naps. So really the best thing is about making sure your schedule is on track and being consistent about how you manage these difficult naps. By getting your schedule on track, I mean for a two to two and a half year old, normally having their nap at noon is a great idea. Most children are going to start to get overtired by any time past noon if we're only just two years of age. As we're approaching more like two and a half years of age, you might do nap time closer to 12.30, but I definitely wouldn't do later than that for a two to two and a half year old. We don't want to be getting overtired. So if your child is only 26 months and their nap is say one o'clock in the afternoon, they may be overtired and it might be making it harder for them to fall asleep. So consider making that nap a little earlier. Conversely, I have seen parents of two-year-olds trying to put their child down at 
11, 11.30 in the morning. Your child might not be quite tired enough and that might be what's causing them to just sing and babble in their crib. So make sure that they're tired enough for their nap. Again, noon is a pretty good nap time at that age, 12.30 latest. The next thing we need to consider beyond scheduling is how you're handling any protest if your child is protesting in their crib. And that is something that you have to decide on as a parent in terms of what you're comfortable with when your child is protesting. You're the parent, you know they need rest, you know they need to get some sleep, and you also know how you normally handle sleep in your home and what your family's comfort level is with various strategies around sleep time protest. So I would say certainly we want to go reassure your child if he's upset, remind him that it's sleep time and give him some support, but we want to give him the chance to fall asleep independently if that's something he's always done in the past. If your two-year-old has always been a good sleeper and this is just a nap strike, we don't want to revert to sleep props to get him to go to sleep. We don't want to handle this nap strike by going in and rocking him to sleep in a desperate attempt to just get him some rest in the middle of the day because if we do that, we're probably not going to end this nap strike. We're just going to get in the habit of him thinking, if I yell at you, you come in and we rock to sleep. And if that's not something you want to start, then it's probably something we need to avoid. So you might consider deciding how long you're comfortable waiting and then going in for just a quick minute, give your child some verbal reassurance, some light touch so they can feel you're there, they know you're there, a little stroke on their back, a little hug, a little verbal reassurance again, and then leave the room again and do those check-ins and decide again how long you're going to wait before you go back in to check on them, how long you're going to be in the room. I would try to keep it fairly quick so your child knows you're there for them, but they're not getting overly stimulated. If your child has never been a great napper, you might be looking at something more like actual sleep coaching from the ground up, from scratch. And in my books, that might look like sitting in the room with your child until they fall asleep in their crib, being there for them the whole time. If they're used to you rocking to sleep or co-sleeping, if that's something you've done in the past and you're just starting to sleep coach, you might not use a timed check-in approach. If this is really new and different for your child, you might use something like a stay in the room approach to start where you're there for them, but you're no longer doing the work of putting them to sleep. So those are some ideas to think about if you're hitting that rough stage where it might be a nap strike that your child is going through, but it's definitely not time for your child to drop their nap altogether. Final question for today. Hi, Erin. My baby will only be rocked and nursed to sleep, and it's taking a toll on my entire family. My husband and I have zero time together. I am exhausted, and honestly, my back feels like it's breaking from all of the rocking and bouncing but I'm terrified of sleep coaching because most of what I read tells me all I'll be doing is teaching my baby to cry and that I won't respond to her, which I cannot handle. Do you have a way of going about this that will help me respond to her, but also get us all some sleep? This is a huge question. This is what we work with families on every day. And I do know that Google is a really scary place. And I know that when you go there, you can find things that will tell you that sleep coaching just means your baby will learn that no one's coming. And that honestly enrages me. The idea that someone would try to convince a parent that sleep coaching can only mean your baby just learns that no one's coming makes no sense to me. As a sleep consultant who employs strategies with families that involve 
sometimes a parent sitting inches away from their child the whole time they are learning to fall asleep, talking to them, picking them up for a hug if they need it, making sure they know a parent's there for them. Sometimes that's not the right approach for a family, and we do need to leave the room. I'm working with a single mom right now who has twins who are six months old, and she has a three-year-old, and she's a single mom. She needs sleep, but she can't sit in the room with her twins the whole time until they fall asleep because she has to tend to her three-year-old because this is realistic, and this is her life, and this is the logistics of what's going on in her household at bedtime. So we can't take a sit in the room approach. So with her, we're taking a timed check-in approach. We're leaving, but we're checking back on her twins. She can be there for her three-year-old and make sure he's doing okay and he's not running amok throughout the house while she's sleep coaching her twin babies. But she can also make sure that we're not leaving her six-month-olds alone for huge extended periods of time without going back, reminding them, I'm here for you, I love you, it's time for sleep giving them support and reassurance, talking to them, providing them touch, picking them up for a hug if they need a hug. So as you can see, it boggles my mind that someone would suggest that sleep coaching means a baby is learning that no one's coming because there are wonderful sleep coaching methodologies that you could put in place that don't have anything to do with not going to your baby. It is not possible for a baby to simply learn that no one's coming If you take an approach where you go to your baby and you be there for them and they know that and they hear that you're there and they feel that you're there and they're never left alone for big periods of time without being reminded that you're there. So my answer to this question would be yes, absolutely. I do have a way of going about this that will help you respond to your baby, but also get you awesome sleep. Is it going to be easy? Probably not. It's probably going to feel really challenging at first. I am never going to be anything but totally realistic with our followers on Instagram, with you listeners of Sleep Cues, with any parent who comes to us as a potential client who wants to work with someone on our team for one-on-one sleep support. I'm never going to be anything but totally open and honest in telling them there are going to be tears involved in sleep coaching. But... Sleep coaching does not need to mean that you just leave your baby alone to cry with no support. Realistically, if your baby has had six months to get used to one way of going to sleep and we're going to change the way they go to sleep because it is no longer working for your family, they're going to protest that because babies don't love change. But the protest goes away when we turn that change into consistency. When we have one solid approach for managing bedtime and night wakes and nap times so that you're there for your baby, but you're no longer doing the work of putting them to sleep. They are learning to put themselves to sleep. And then as you do that over and over and you're there for them, but they put themselves to sleep, they become more confident and comfortable and familiar with how to go to sleep on their own. And now it's not different. It's not change. It's not new. It's their norm. And then the protest goes away because they feel good about it and they're comfortable with it. That is what I suggest proper sleep coaching will get you to, and not in a way that your baby just figures out that no one's coming, but in a way that your baby figures out, you love me, you are here for me, I can see that, but you're not doing the stuff you used to do to put me to sleep, I'm doing that now, and I'm getting better and better and better at it, and now I'm comfy with it. 
So that would be my answer to that one. As always, I'm happy to answer any questions you might have over my DMs on Instagram. I'll put some in this podcast if I think they'll be helpful to other parents. Reach out on our website if you want to chat more about your individual baby's sleep and have a free 20-minute phone consultation with our team. We are here for you. We are all about getting you and your family's great rest. Have a good week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with a mom or dad who might need some rest. Connect with us on Instagram at The Happy Sleep Company and check out our website, thehappysleepcompany.com for loads of blogs, sleep guides, and information about how we work with families one-on-one to get sleep on track.